Hello and welcome to the season 10 finale of the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm your host, Holly Rubenstein, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Thank you so much for joining me over the past few months. It has been genuinely one of my favorite ever seasons. As I've mentioned at the start of some of the episodes, I created this dream guest wish list when I first started the podcast and this season has been a record for me in terms of ticking off people who I've been wanting to speak to for the last few years and they've all surpassed my expectations and I think having heard from loads of you that you know there have been some all-time favorite episodes for a lot of you in there as well which has just been amazing to hear I've been so happy so if you haven't had a chance to listen to the whole season do you go back and um you know start at the beginning there have been a lot of great ones in there and of course I mean there's also the last 10 seasons to uncover as well so over a hundred and 15, 120 episodes now to discover. I'll be back next week actually with a bonus episode from the archives just to tide you over to the spring when I'll be back with season 11. I'm hoping to do a little bit of traveling before I come back, fingers crossed. The next few weeks I just want to wind down a bit. You might have noticed that there was no episode last week. We have had a litany of nursery bugs. I'm sure a lot of few parents can relate to this. It has been full on, non-stop. And of course, you know, what you don't necessarily think about is that we as parents also catch these bugs. So yeah, going to need a few weeks, I think, just to recover. (laughs) And then come uh, the new year, I'll be back getting season 11 together for you. And of course, I can't wait. Who would you like to hear from? You must send me a message and let me know. Before we get started with our guest today... I have been waiting to talk to you actually about a hotel called Borgo Ignazia in Puglia, which I visited a couple of months ago now. And as we actually talk about it on today's episode, it felt like the perfect opportunity to share a little bit more about it. It's a very special spot nestled amidst the sun-kissed landscapes of Puglia in the heel of Italy, a place where olive groves stretch out as far as the eye can see and the Borgo emerges like a timeless masterpiece. I will genuinely never forget my stay there because it's where I had one of my most memorable travel experiences. The hotel is um, extremely unusual in that it's like a historic village. It has a clock tower and a piazza and winding cobblestone paths that meander through the property, leading to stone cottages and villas. And in its heart is this big market square where every weekend they put on a festa, a huge party. And it's this that was so unforgettable. Each weekend is different, but when we were there, it was turning autumn and really long wooden tables were covered, covered in twinkling candles and vases filled with autumn leaves. And there was a big local band playing, countless food stands lined the square, steaming with delicious local treats. I mean, you know, dozens and dozens of food stands. And it was really this ultimate immersive experience to get a taste of what Puglia is all about. And Borgo 
Ignacia just put it on so beautifully. It was basically like my dream wedding. And it's no wonder that Justin Timberlake and Jessica Biel famously chose it as their wedding venue. If you do decide to visit, there are a huge array of rooms to choose from to suit different budgets and group sizes. There are romantic rooms in La Corte, some with balconies, others with courtyard gardens or terraces that overlook the incredible golf course or the Borgo down to the sea. Families, I'd recommend maybe one of the casete, the stone cottages in the Borgo, which have little kitchenettes and walls strung with herbs and lavender posies. And for a splurge or a big family, there are full-size villas with many bedrooms and their own private pool set in gardens of Bougainvillea. We visited as a family. Our daughter was 10 months at the time and the hotel was so welcoming of families. It, you know, it had all the gear, had a fantastic kids club, a playground, a petting farm with all the cutest little animals and even um, a specific kids restaurant but also with a huge sparkling adults only pool many bars a show-stopping spa a michelin star restaurant it equally caters to those traveling without children i would say that it's one of those special hotels that mean that you can coexist and it is one of the destinations chosen as a favorite by my guest today you might know her as a formidable judge on masterchef the professionals or maybe you followed her globetrotting escapades on the BBC's amazing hotels, Life Beyond the Lobby. Or maybe you've even been lucky enough to eat in her London restaurant, Mir. She is one of the best known and highly renowned female chefs in the UK. It is, of course, Monica Galletti. Now, Monica is another one of those guests that I dreamed about speaking to since I started the podcast. I was desperate to ask her about what her childhood was like growing up on a tiny island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And then what it was like when she moved from there as a child to New Zealand, where suddenly it's cold and it's another language that she didn't speak. I was so excited to ask her about her love of food and how that led her to London to work alongside Michelle Rue Jr. at his legendary Michelin star restaurant Le Gavroche. The intense kitchen there became the crucible where Monica honed her skills, eventually rising to become the restaurant's first female sous chef. And her experience there would eventually serve as the foundation to open her restaurant in Fitzrovia in London, Mir. Or Mary. I think that there are kind of two pronunciations. After a few technical issues, I was so pleased Monica was able to squeeze this interview into her jam-packed schedule. She just got off a plane and got home. So this was recorded remotely last week and I was coming to her from Cliveden as we talk about um, at the start of the episode, a legendary British hotel that I was invited to, um, which was a real treat. So from Samoa to Sri Lanka, Ireland to Italy and much, much more. Let's get started. Monica Galetti, welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. It is so nice to see you today. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, Holly. Nice to, to, to see you. And you've just landed back in the UK? I have. I have all been away um, filming um, the new series of Hotels. Oh my gosh, the new series has already got started. Yeah. Wow. I guess it just must take so much time. Where, where's left? You've been to every corner of the globe with that show. No, no, still lots more to, to see, lots more to do. So it's only the first of the, the series that we've started. Um, Still got another seven to go yet. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And can you reveal anything about it at this stage? 
Um, I think just lots of exciting destinations. Um, I've just been in Rome. We're doing uh, a lot more across Asia um, for what I've seen, which is really exciting um, and, and really looking forward to. Are you home? Here? I'm actually at Clifton. Ah, you know, Clifton. Clifton Manor. Yeah, yeah. it was their Christmas party last night and they invited me. So I'm speaking to you from a suite at Clifton. Yes, of all you places. girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I love that. It's not just like Clifton, you know. Just casual. Wednesday morning, that's where I am. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so we start off, Monica, um, at chapter one, the seven chapters of your life's travel diaries, we go right back to the very beginning to start off with. And that is normally your earliest childhood travel memory. But because you had what I consider to be such an unusual childhood growing up in a place that I don't know so much about, I wondered if we could start off by chatting a bit about your childhood in Samoa, because it's not every day I get the opportunity to speak to somebody who has had that kind of childhood in the South Pacific. What was life like there? It's a simple life, uh, as simple as you could imagine, you know, running around, playing um, barefoot, the wider family supporting everyone. Um, it's all about family. You know, I didn't know cold until I left New Zealand. Uh, I left Samoa, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, it was all about eating, you know, fresh uh, tropical fruit, uh, running around with all your cousins and, and, and what have you. And uh, it's just I just always remember having lots of family around. Oh, that's so nice. I mean, when you do a Google image search of Samoa, actually, how, how, what is the correct way to pronounce Samoa? Firstly? Samoa. Samoa. Yeah, Samoa. Okay. Yeah. So when, when you do a Google image search, really, it looks like paradise. an untouched an paradise. Exactly. An untouched paradise. Yeah. And do you go back now? Because it's probably kind of one of the furthest places away from the UK it can't be any further (laughs) (laughs) i I mean i thought new zealand was far but it's like another six hours seven hours from new zealand um i'm I'm back there in august next year which i'm super excited about yeah long so actually how long does it take you to get there uh well you don't you don't do it in one go you know i will have probably have a stopover see family either in australia or new zealand and and then head over there Mm. and what will the trip back for you you know involve well, I'm being made um, uh, ambassador of Samoa, um, so that's wow. what the trip is about, you know, is to go back and, and touch base and see everyone and uh, take my family back. Uh, it's been a while since we've been there together and, and really sort of reintroduce my daughter to her culture as well. What is it that you want to really teach her about your culture? There's so much uh, about Aing, about family, the food. There's nothing like that here in the UK. We don't have family in the UK. There is no real uh, Samoan network here. So, mm. you know, you can't compare it um, just to be around people that speak Samoan and have the food and, and then enjoy that family time. And, of course, my father is there. Is so it would be nice to, to catch up with him, yeah. Oh, that will be – well, congratulations. Um, being an ambassador must mean – I imagine it is a very special – accolade to have oh it's, it's it's an honor um to to be able to do that for for Samoa yeah. yeah um and what would you say to a first-time visitor to do if they haven't been there before where to stay what to do how would you encourage them to get the flavor of what what you think would be the best flavor for a first timer's experience there? There's so much to to do, but I think visiting Savaii, which is the second part of some of the little island, 
it's a bit more rural compared to to the main islands um, um, in in Nabia. Although you know, getting immersed in the culture and 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 family life there is is second to none. They're so inviting and and warm. And unlike someone that sort of say what was someone hospitality like, they're not going to spear you to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any hotels there that you recommend that you've stayed in? There's loads of hotels, um, a lot of family-owned hotels. Um, I think Aggie Grace is the most popular one. But uh, they have little boutique hotels everywhere, which I think is just quite special. Mm. So, Monica, Chapter 2 is the first place that you fell in love with. What would that be? The first place I fell in love with, uh, possibly Vanuatu was um i mean separate from from samoa was just so tranquil and i I visited that island on my own and it was where i learned to dive so so tell me about the the diving experience there what it was like what it looked like what you saw do you dive do you know what no i've only ever been snorkeling yeah okay well take snorkeling up to a hundred um for for me it's the most beautiful thing um because no one can contact you it's just you and you know the beautiful sea life that you you get to just immerse yourself in for that short amount of time it's the most beautiful beautiful experience um and and that's why Vanuatu has always been very special to me I guess it's a kind of like you say almost like a mindful exercise isn't it because you're completely disconnected and there's nothing more therapeutic than being immersed in nature absolutely and it's down to your breathing and sort of you know controlling your breathing Mm. and being calm Mm. just forgetting everything and and being in that moment I think very few experiences in in, in life gets you to cut off fully and and fully immerse in, in what you're doing yeah. Yeah. Well, what about cooking? I mean, because a lot of chefs that I've interviewed al- along the years have said that almost the the process of perfecting what you're doing and the the finer details are quite mindful in their focus. Do you find that? Absolutely. But then you're also under pressure to recreate those dishes. Um, you know, and if you're in the heat of a service, you know, it's just to concentrate on getting the team through. Um I'm not the sort of chef who's going to get hung up on putting 10 different leaves on one dish uh, while the customer is, is, is waiting. Um, you know, <laughs> it's a, a creating a dish and, and, and being a part of that is, is, is fundamental to, to what you do. Um, that's the fun side. And then you've got the reality of actually putting that dish out, you know, uh, 30, 40 times all, you know, one after the other and getting it right every time. So while it's kind of mindful, it's not exactly relaxing necessarily i would say you know you're in a service there's times when it's relaxing and that's when you're creating in the service it's all about the adrenaline and getting through the 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 service with the team so going back to vanuatu when was the first time that you went there and what were your first impressions of the island 2000 uh i was there uh i was very inquisitive and then finding myself in another pacific island you know speaking a completely different language to to samoa but uh, the culture is very similar, um, but um, also, you know, just so tranquil and beautiful. People are just so heartwarm. I'm oh, sorry, people are just so um, warm and, and inviting and you just immerse yourself, even though I was staying in a hotel um, with the local people. You know, I loved it. Mm. And so you moved to Wellington in New Zealand when you were how old? Uh, we left Samoa was about eight or nine. Eight or nine, and I've yeah. I've read that you said that you know it wasn't an easy adjustment 
No. Yeah. We moved from Samoa to New Zealand. I couldn't speak English. Um, so, of course, having to adjust to a whole new country, you know, and, and pick up the, the lingo. But luckily, my brothers were there before us. So they helped sort of form the way um, into sort of finding our feet. How do you look back on that time, that time when you left Samoa? What were your feelings? Well, it seemed very normal at the time. You know, your parents say this is what's happening and you sort of go along with it. Maybe a bit of confusion to to go with it. I remember missing the warmth of, of Samoa and, and, you know, just the, the, the smells of, of the island and having to readjust to a different life. But having my siblings there, you just adjusted really well. And when did you first fall in love with cooking? Part of our culture, I've always been in the kitchen, you know. Uh, we grew up in the kitchen, it's where the gossip happens, it's where all the fun happens, when family comes over, it's where everyone hangs out, um, you know. And also being the eldest girl, I was responsible for learning to support the the, the family uh, and learning how to, to cook from a very young age. So it's something that I've always done. Um, and then while studying my diploma in hospitality and discovering that you know the actual techniques on how to chop for example and making stocks and butchery and 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 all of that more technical side that's when I realized this is something that I truly wanted to do forever Mm. and when you were living in New Zealand and you'd been obviously immersed for that first stage of your life in the Samoan food culture um, how would you contrast that then with your experience of New Zealander food and and like how they both have in their way influenced your culinary style now? Um, there's a huge Pacific Island heritage in New Zealand. So you still had the same sort of food you had in, in the islands and that was the wonderful part of it. Um, you know, but then, you know, discovering new things like ice cream, you know, I, I found I, I still don't have a very sweet tooth because for me, you know, sweet things were what I associated with fresh fruit when I was younger. Um, but yeah, uh, I think just, you know, different flavors and smells of, of, of food um, in New Zealand uh, was a delight to, to discover. And just growing up there, you know, is part of things that you take away with you. Is there a Samoan signature dish, like the ultimate kind of dish that would give you a taste of what you grew up loving and and eating? Um, There are loads, but I think my my favourite thing is a oka, which is like a seafood uh, ceviche, uh, Pacific Island ceviche, but we make ours uh, and cure it in coconut milk and citrus and and, and all that. So that's definitely something that I love having um, and love it so much is on my menu now at the restaurant, Mm. though a little bit chefy chefy <laughs> <laughs> I think I got to try that when I came for dinner a couple of weeks ago um the ceviche I think was on the menu and it was absolutely delicious I mean it must be so exciting to draw on your such an international upbringing to and then bringing that into a menu in London yeah, but it's also trying to get your team who have no association of Pacific Island to understand what you're trying to put together. Mm. Um, you know, so when you communicate, for example, similar to a ceviche, I've got a chef in my kitchen who's from Peru who totally gets it. 
and and thankfully Sven, who's my head chef, um, you know, is so curious about the Pacific Island culture um, that he's really keen to learn more about it. So I've had a lot of fun, you know, curating the menus with Sven since he's joined. And so much so that I'm hoping to send him to Samoa in in the new year to really get him to understand what it is that we do. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels easier even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Well, chapter three is the place where you learn the most about yourself. Um, I would have to say that uh, here in, in London, when I moved to London, um, leaving my family, friends, everyone behind and having to really be self-sufficient and be independent um, completely, you know, back in, I, even though I'd moved out home and, and stuff in New Zealand, you could always go home and, you know, raid the your mum and dad's fridge if you needed to. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's no such thing here, you know. Um, so I think living in, in London really meant uh, growing up quickly. Yeah. And you came and you, you know, landed this incredible job at Le Gavroche with Michelle Rue Jr. I mean, as a young chef, was that everything that you dreamed of? And more. <laughs> It's the most difficult time I had as a chef, um, learning, you know, but it was also the time that I realized that I wanted nothing more than to be the best that I could, um, you know. So, yeah, it was a good, great time. Made some great friends and still have to this day. Michelle, of course, was a, a 
former guest on the podcast here and a much loved guest. Uh, a lot of people are, are watching TV shows at the moment that depict restaurant life. I don't know if you're watching any of them. You know, we've got The Bear, Boiling Point. You haven't watched either of them. No. No, you probably, you probably see Why it would I watch it? I live it. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I watch something? It's what, what I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, Boiling Point, the name, the title kind of gives gives it gives it away, really, and that it is a, a pretty fraught, um, frenetic energy. What was it like in the kitchen with Michelle? Um, you have those moments, but these shows just pick on the, the worst parts of the industry, which kind of find annoying. There's so much more to being in a, in a kitchen team than, you know, just the temper tantrums that, you know, they, they go off and, and make these series about, mm. you know, maybe they should focus on the positives of, of when you create something together as a team and getting through a service together um, and, and supporting those around you. What I don't they talk about the sustainability of the amazing ingredients that they work with and the farmers and the growers that, that put this together with you. Yes, but it's all about, you know, chefs throwing pans across the kitchen. Mm. Can you tell I'm not a fan of these shows? <laughs> How are you feeling about Le Gavroche closing its doors? It's time. If Michelle says it's time, it's time. And I respect and love him for that. Um, you know, I look forward to going and, and seeing them before that happens. So. Yeah. It's an end of a chapter in the culinary world of London, really, isn't it? I absolutely think so. I think it's a huge loss to the next generation who will never get that training. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I, I hope that, you know, there'll be other places out there that can offer that training that I was very lucky, very fortunate, as well as many other chefs uh, were able to get. Mm. Well, I'm, would, would some of them come and train with you? Well, I have a great team. Yeah. I have a great team. Yeah, exactly. Well, Chapter 4, Monica, is the big one. Your all-time favourite destination. So hard to pick, but what comes to mind? It has to be Samoa for me. Uh, I, you know, I grew up in New Zealand. I've lived in London longer than I have lived in New Zealand now, coming to 25 years. Um, and yet deep in my bones, in my blood, I, Samoa is home for me. You know, I, I, I miss it so much. Um, I can play a Samoan song that my parents used to play and, and it takes me there, you know. Um, so for me, that is always my ultimate destination. Do you think you'd ever go back and live there? I would love to, yeah, yeah, away from all the stress and buzz of city life once it's completely out of my system. Yeah, <laughs> and I imagine, I'm, I mean, what what does yeah. your daughter think of, of, of it? Um, would she like to live she there? She loves yeah. it. Um, I don't know. I mean, she's only 17. She's got life to go and, and all of that, but she absolutely loves it there. She's excited to go back. Wonderful. And so the BBC approached you when you were obviously, you know, chefing to host uh, amazing hotels life beyond the lobby and as someone who obviously loves travel this must have been a dream gig right hell yeah (laughs) (laughs) like yeah don't have to ask me twice (laughs) and then actually the timing just happened uh really well i was in the middle of opening the the restaurant and it got delayed by three months and quite literally the next week the bbc came to me with, with the amazing hotels and that was the only way I could you know commit to it if that delay hadn't happened I think I would have had to pass on it so completely over the moon and for people who haven't watched it can you just briefly explain the premise um it's pretty much in the title uh, <laughs> amazing hotel um around the world you know uh life beyond the lobby and it's not just you know I spend this much in my room and look how fantastic it is it's very much about 
the stories behind that, the people that run it, how did it come about, you know, whether it be a family hotel or environmental, you know, and you cover the issues from, you know, climate change and how that's affected it over the years, depending where we are, um, you know, to to cultures and, and, of course, cultures that have never had tourism before. How does that affect the local people? Um, the food in these countries, you know, and, and I get to learn all about it. And that's what I love about um, traveling, you know, the, the, the discovery of, of other cultures and, and fantastic people and, and the food that they have. Yeah. I mean, when you reflect on the hotels that you've been in so far on the show and the food, is there one that stands out in particular? Oh, I'd have to say so far, uh, Sri Lanka, definitely. Um, and of course, any time we're in Italy, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think Italy is definitely up there as one of my top European countries. I do love Italy with a passion. Um, I just got back actually from Borgo Nazia myself. Oh yeah. Um, having watched your episode probably about a week before I flew out. So it got me very much in the spirit of visiting. And the food is amazing, isn't oh, it? Oh, the food was incredible. And it was just such yeah. um like an an unreal setup wasn't it yeah you sort of got to get your head around it don't you like how is this real but not yeah (laughs) because um for my listeners who haven't who don't know about it it's it feels like a very historic uh, village but in fact it's it was only built you know 20 or so years ago was it yeah um but it it, it's been made to feel as though it is kind of steeped in history and like monica's saying like the food there is this wonderful South Italian, Southern Italian Puglian cuisine, which is phenomenal. Very family-friendly hotel, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I imagine a lot of people say to you, well, I saw this hotel on the series and now I'm, you know, I've saved up and I'm going to go and visit it. Many. Uh, and it's really sweet, you know, you know, people come to the restaurant and say, oh, you know, we saw that, so we went for our honeymoon. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and some people who say they, they try and pick one from every series that they save up to go to, you know, and they've met some of the people that we filmed with. Yeah. I had someone send a message that they went to St. Lucia and uh, met the lovely gentleman that uh, did the, the, the sugarcane plantation tour and tells the whole history of slavery and everything that happened there. And they went and, and did that with him, you know. Um, so there's just so much enriching experiences um, you get to have. And, of course, those people that, that we meet actually become the little stars of it. And yeah. people go and associate them with the whole experience, you know. They want to meet those people, yeah. So that's a great sign. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, like, not only are the hotel, people getting to discover the hotels, they're getting to associate the people, because in hospitality, it's not just the hotel, it's not just the people within the hotel. Like, it branches out and out and out, doesn't it? And I imagine that you experience yeah. this all the time. It's, you know, it hospitality affects a broader community always, and that's another whole realm within the program. Absolutely, you know the the whole network that come together to to create the soul of that hotel. Otherwise, I really believe it's just an empty building. So, do you have any idea how many hotels you visited on it so far? I think what are we six years now? So six, twelve, eighteen. 
we think we're around 34, 35. That's an amazing number. And they are are literally dotted all over the world. So as we're in the all-time favorite category, what was the most amazing of all? Can you pick one? Not just one. Um, That's impossible. Um, And, you know, certain hotels for me are amazing for different reasons than other people would say. You know, in, in Ireland, for example, as a hotel where I just found the warmth of the Irish people just really brought so much soul and, and love to that hotel. You know, I would go there tomorrow. Was that Ashford Castle? It was. Yeah. You know, um, Borgo Ignatia, for example, in, 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 in Puglia, you know, just the, the, the culture that they mess, managed to immerse into this brand new hotel and the lovely team behind it. And then you have, you know, uh, Marlon Brando's in French Polynesia, oh. which is so high end cater for I don't know triple a celebrities but never mind that but you know what they do there is protect the marine life you you can't eat or fish anything in that lagoon that surrounds the island you know they managed to use the currents of the ocean to cool the rooms you know so so things like that it blow my mind mm, yeah <laughs> you know yeah you know um things like that honestly and then in Sri Lanka you know where you've got this amazing family who are using the old plantations to 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 get people to experience a part of Sri Lanka that people wouldn't normally bother about because it's so far up north, you know. Um, but it's so beautiful and the culture, the food, um, yeah, you know. So so if I'd probably have to say I have a top five or ten as opposed to just one. Very unfair. <laughs> <laughs> and Joali also in the Maldives, that looked like an incredible property. Stunning, isn't it? But, you know, out in the Maldives, there's such huge competition out there to 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 have a hotel. And I think people just think, oh, you know, by the sea, <laughs> you know, on the beach and, and away. But, you know, to to create something like, like they did, you know, respecting or the natural habitat as much as possible. And instead of like cutting down trees, they let them stay bent and crooked and built around that instead. Love the fact that they have in the Maldives, you know, the highest percentage of uh, women employed in, in hospitality, yeah. you know. So there's, there's so much more to it. And yes, you get the luxury side of the hotel, but it's, it's all those stories that, that I find is just so wonderful. And has it ever crossed your mind having you know had such an insider look at all these hotels would you ever open one yourself no I wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> maybe in Samoa you know I think I'd like to do it in Samoa let me small boutique hotel in Samoa many 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 moons from now okay well you heard it here first <laughs> keep, keep, keep an eye out <laughs> For if, if you were creating your dream hotel what would be like the three key pillars that you think you would want to instill in in what you put out there for me the three key things is respecting the food culture wherever that hotel is say uh in in Samoa you know sustainable to the location for me is is huge and employment of the locals uh is also very key Mm. and those are are the kind of key pillars that fit that I feel are really you know hopefully being embraced by hospitality as a as a whole that we're seeing on the show as well i'd like to think so yeah. i really like to think so you know sustainable uh tourism is, is what everyone wants 
you know we all love to travel and to learn about other cultures but it has to be sustainable you know and and done in a way that you know we we try and protect the planet as as much as possible you'd hate to think you know the only way to travel in the future is one of those virtual goggle things oh my God. um <laughs> you know how depressing would would that be you know so um i i like to think that sharing the knowledge and and, and making all that you know a harmonious thing so that everyone can benefit um is the way forward yeah totally and i imagine as an islander you must feel that even more acutely hugely you know hugely and you know small island like samoa depends heavily on tourism um to 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 survive you know um and to support you know the the whole island basically and i think lots of other places you know really saw that you know during the pandemic how vital it is so I think, you know, it'd be mad not to sort of support each other in a way that, you know, supports um, things to make it possible sustainably and, and you know, with the, the environment in mind. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So moving on to chapter five, that is your hidden gem, a place that you love that maybe my listeners wouldn't know so much about. I really think uh, Vanuatu is that hidden gem, never mind Samoa. Um, and it's just so far, <laughs> again, you know, um, out there. It's just, I think second to Samoa, it would have to be Vanuatu. Um, I think Croatia is one that I recently came across during the hotel series, mm-hmm. and I never wanted to share that with the world. I thought it was so beautiful and thinking, how did I not know about this before? <laughs> yeah, um, but when it's so so accessible from the UK. So accessible, um, and I think more and more people are, are discovering it. So I think Croatia. How much di- downtime do you get like when you're making these epic journeys to get to said hotel? Do you get any time to just chill out very rarely you might get a morning off or an afternoon yeah so people think you're just chilling out by the pool and that but no they like to keep us busy (laughs) so it's a dream gig but it's not like a dream it's not like you're going on dream holidays I mean look you're, you're you're fortunate you get to stay in an amazing hotel but you're not actually you know on holiday you you're there to work um and discover and so you know it, it's amazing work you get to go and spend time i don't know with foragers or people from the hotel that make the wine for example or you know um jar, uh you have the the, the more you know, obviously it's like housekeeping <laughs> you know make there are only so many bad ones uh, one would like to make you know, <laughs> you know so it's all that but you you just you know get to learn so much about the hotel and it's it's a great gig to be able to do yeah um and so you've lived in london for you know as you said longer than you lived in new zealand now um and being you know in, in so deeply embedded in the food scene here at, can you share any hidden gem restaurant recommendations, like some places that you love to visit that, you know, aren't kind of like on the Le, Le Gavroche level type? Um, you know, I don't get to eat out as much as I, I used to. It's just so busy. And it's um when I do eat out, I like to try and get somewhere I know what I'm going to have. And it's great. I mean, I love going to Jay Shiki, for example. I love seafood. 
you know. Um, so Jay Shiki for me has, has been there for years and years. It's, it's, it's a great establishment, um, you know, and has a great reputation. And and so for a seafood lover, that is my my go-to. Um, my f- dearest friend, or one of my closest friends, has for me, in, in, in my eyes, the best uh, Spanish restaurant, and that's Nevis. Uh, she has Sabor. Um, but she's always busy. So, yeah, good luck trying to get in there. <laughs> and so how are you finding the new series of MasterChef? I mean, it's kind of coming up to a climax now. Yeah, What, what are your reflections on, on the crop, this, this series on the professionals? So wonderful, the selection of chefs we got this year. We had so many women enter as well. That's great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's good to see. Um, you know, and it's coming down to the cream of the cropper at the moment. It's exciting, and I always love to hear who's their favourite, who are they gunning for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a, a real joy to to be back with the crew, my, which are like a, a MasterChef um, uh, a family, you know. No, it's been great. Uh, so our penultimate chapter, Monica, is Chapter 6, your worst travel experience or the place that you would never go back to? I can't say, you know, um, it's been so bad you would say you would never go to, and it has to be really bad for for something like that to happen. Uh, I mean, one of the worst things that happened, but I wouldn't say would put me off for totally going back there, but I wouldn't rush back there, is in Scotland, where I got attacked by midges. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, And I'd never come across these nightmare things before. Um, and I remember we were up there in, in the autumn, and they're like, oh, you're so lucky, you've just missed the, the midges season. And I was like, oh, okay. And lo and behold, we're out there filming. And they were, like, dive-bombing my head. <laughs> there was no one else but me. And it was like, <laughs> and, and honestly, I was so scared to go out the whole week. <laughs> and then slowly as we were filming, I, you know, you could start seeing these spots on the show. The makeup so, artist is having to come in. <laughs> yeah, they, they, I wish I had a makeup artist. <laughs> <laughs> But honestly, it's like walking around like that cartoon with a zzz around my head and no one else had it, um, you know. So that was the only thing. And it had nothing to do you know, with where we were staying or, or filming at the time. Um, otherwise, I'd say there's been something so bad and, and horrific that I would say, okay, that's it. I'm never coming back there. So thanks to the midges, that's one season I'll try and avoid. Well, yeah, I mean, very, it's actually a very good travel tip for our listeners because while Scotland is one of the most mentioned destinations on the podcast, and it is, of course, so beloved, you do have to check the mid-season and the mid-forecast yeah. because otherwise you're going to have to be walking around with a net over your head or just staying inside. Yeah. I had honestly had no idea, and it's so beautiful, Scotland. So, be prepared. I think you need one of you know in Australia where they wear those cork hats. That's probably what those were created for as well. No one knew. <laughs> <laughs> for me, anyway, it's just like a net. Like a, I next time I'll just go out in a in, in a in a suit that you wear when you're going to get check the honey. Yeah, that's that exactly be. what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much, Monica. We are on to your final chapter, chapter seven, and that is the destination that is at the top of your travel bucket list. Where is left for you to discover that you haven't yet been? I want to go to Japan. Oh. I uh, Honestly, um, we, we were planning to go uh, with the family, my husband and daughter, we all wanted to go, and then the pandemic hit, and we kept saying, yeah, once it's done, we're going to go. 
And hello, we're just ending up so busy, we still haven't done it. So for us, I think Japan is, is top of the list. And is that because of the food in particular? Yes, food culture. Um, you know, my husband loves whiskey. So do I, actually. You know, and yeah, it just looks so beautiful. My, my cousin lived here for five years and I kept seeing his photos, you know, when the blossoms were out as well. And it's just stunning, beautiful people. So definitely um, Japan is, is top of the list. Brilliant. Well, I hope you make it there soon, Monica. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> what? Have you been? No. And do you know it's um, the most mentioned bucket list destination on the podcast a hundred and twenty episodes in Japan, Japan, Japan. If it's not the top if wow. it's not top of the bucket list, it's the all time favorite destination. By far okay. the most mentioned destination. So I love that. and chefs in particular, they just go mad for it, don't they? Yeah, yeah, we do. We're all quite desperate to get there. <laughs> we'll be like pushing each other out the line and in the, the airport. <laughs> yeah, bumping yeah. into each other in the little yeah. alleyways there where they have those tiny amazing restaurants. Oh well thank you so much, Monica. Those were your travel diaries. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. Thank you, Holly, and I'm really glad we managed to get it done. So time lucky. Thank you. Oh, a huge thank you to Monica Galetti. Do check out her fantastic restaurant, Mir, for a taste of what we've been talking about today. And thank you to the magnificent Joali Resort in the Maldives, one of Monica's amazing hotels who helped to make this interview happen. And so that is a wrap for season 10. Thank you again for tuning in. I hope that you're all starting to feel festive. I put together a little Travel Diaries Christmas gift guide over on my Instagram at Holly Rubenstein. So do check that out. A labor of love with lots of my favorite brands I think you're going to love. And I'll be back next week with a bonus episode from the archives and then back with a whole new season in the spring. So who would you like to hear from? Who are your dream guests? You know, I always try to make it happen if you ask. So remember, you can get in touch with me on Instagram. And I'm also on threads and TikTok. Maybe my New Year's resolution will be to actually use those a bit more. It should be actually. That will be my New Year's resolution. (laughs) But certainly I'm always happy to chat. And remember, all the destinations mentioned by my guests are included in the episode show notes here on your podcast app and on my website, thetraveldiariespodcast.com. Loads of love, everyone. Thanks again for your support. Happy holidays. And I'll speak to you soon. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers? 
just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 